hello. I want to welcome you to this series of podcasts on security clearance appeals. And we have been meeting weekly. Um, this is your host, Attorney Alan Edmonds. I've been um, an attorney for over 45 years. Uh, my law firm, the Edmonds Law Firm, has offices coast to coast in the United States, although our client base is around the globe. Uh, we have clients in Germany and um, India, Pakistan, Egypt, to name a few uh, countries. We represent active duty military who are deployed globally, and we represent contractors who are likewise deployed uh, doing uh, military or defense work around the world. And uh, we appreciate their service. We're very, very grateful to our active duty military. And uh, the Edmonds Law Firm uh, has a, a huge military uh, client base. We offer uh, special pricing for veterans and active duty in appreciation for their service and the risks that they have taken to defend this great country of ours. I want to welcome you to this series. Uh, we post podcasts to Spotify and other platforms on a weekly basis. And uh, my intent is uh, to educate and share my experiences with you, the listener, on uh, important security clearance matters, as well as military law and uh, Merit System Protection Board, to name a few. Uh, we represent veterans and uh, we also do military upgrades for people that have uh, uh, discharges that are negative and impact their future and their career. But most of our work right now is in security clearance uh, litigation and defense. Uh, we represent people that receive statement of reasons, the SOR, which is the first document that's generated by the government, usually comes from Fort Meade at the CAS. And uh, it tells you if you're the recipient that your clearance is being denied, it lists the reasons, and then it gives you an opportunity to appeal. That document is hugely important to your career, your job, and obviously to your family. If uh, your family relies on your paycheck to pay the mortgage and take care of the kids, et cetera. We have been helping people respond formally to the SOR, the Statement of Reasons, for over 45 years. Our responses are uh, formal. You work with a legal team in our office and uh, we meet the deadlines that the government imposes. And uh, we also prepare you for a formal hearing if uh, the written response is not adequate. Um, before you get to the hearing stage, and often before you receive an SOR, what the government is doing now, and I mean the Department of Defense, is they are issuing applicants with, uh, that have security clearance applications pending. They are issuing, issuing you folks what's called uh, government interrogatories. And um, I want you to think of these interrogatories as a stick of dynamite. Uh, the analogy is pretty uh, fascinating and it alerts you to the danger of interrogatories. So many of you get these questions that come to you through your security officer or your S2, if you're in the military, you get these interrogatories and on the surface, they, uh, they seem pretty simple. And they uh, ask a series of questions 
the case that we're going to talk about today is an actual case. And it's a case from a woman who was served interrogatories. And uh, she wasn't just served a few. She was served over 50 questions, interrogatories. We're going to go through some of them just to give you an idea of uh, the specificity that's required. We did a formal response to interrogatories, and uh, it was incredible. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to destroy the ending. I'm going to destroy the surprise and tell you that we did uh, such a good job on the interrogatories that the government stopped its processing of revocation of her clearance and they granted her clearance just based on uh, what the Edmonds law firm did in responding formally to interrogatories. And uh, needless to say, if she got 50 interrogatories, you know our response was uh, incredibly detailed and uh, complete. And we did that, and she was delighted. We just got the call today. This is fresh news, and I'm sharing it with you because this is a big event. And because many of you get interrogatories, you uh, answer them yourselves, and the last page says, uh, you swear that these answers are truthful and accurate. And half the time, some of the clients are guessing on the responses. They don't have all the data in front of them because they're misinterpreting the importance of these interrogatories. These interrogatories I described earlier as a stick of dynamite. You can also think of them as handcuffs because once you answer interrogatories, you are confined to that answer if you haven't answered in the proper way. And of course, that's what my lawyers at this law firm do. We're trained experts in security clearance uh, applications and defense. We appear across the United States, both in person and virtually at security clearance hearings. Uh, the firm does over three hearings per week. And um, we are very, very experienced in all phases of the uh, security clearance process. Uh, we have two functions when we represent you. Number one, we wanna win your case. Uh, we're very aggressive, we're trial lawyers, and we wanna win your case because your case is important to you, and you are important to us because you're our clients. And we'll do an incredible job both with written responses to interrogatories, as we did in this case, and also in a response to SOR or in the courtroom. Your trial notebook, uh, which we prepare for you for hearings, is nothing short of incredible. And uh, that's part of the service that we render. As many of you know, we quote flat fees, no hourly fees, no surprises, no uh, legal bills of 10, 15, or $20,000 from this law firm, you know at the inception how much you're gonna pay for services and you only pay for what you need. But back to this, uh, this case, there are two aspects of our representation. Number one, we wanna win your case, but number two, we wanna protect you in the courtroom. And you can say, my goodness, what are you talking about? Well, recently, we sent uh, an attorney on a case uh, that was before uh, the DOD and the government attorney 
absolutely acted unprofessionally and started personal attacks against our client in the courtroom, started labeling him and calling him names, disparaging him. And we were there to object and to stop that type of conduct. It is unconscionable that a government attorney would lower himself to such a standard. But can you imagine how that client would have felt if he had nobody in the courtroom to protect him? And uh, that's part of our job. We don't want this process to be so indignant and so insulting uh, that you are treated that way. But rest assured, that happens. Even in 2023, there are some government lawyers that are not very good. Uh, they're not trained very well and they mistreat people. And that's in violation of the rules of uh, judicial conduct that the federal government has promulgated. But you don't know those rules. And um, the judge has got to be reminded. And, and uh, in our cases, we ask the judge to admonish the government attorney or even sanction the government attorney when they misbehave. So don't think that uh, this is an easy process. This is a process that is uh, adversarial. And uh, each step of the way, you've got to be very careful. So when I say to you that interrogatories are like a stick of dynamite or that interrogatories from the government are like handcuffs, I'm really drawing an analogy that has impact, I hope, with you, the listener, because this is serious stuff. We treat it as serious because it's your career, but we want you to treat it as serious when you get served uh, a notice of intent or a letter of intent or a notice of proposed action by the government uh, in MSPB cases, merit systems cases, or in the area of security clearances. It's serious stuff, and we are here to represent you and to protect you. So in this instant case that I want to share with you, uh, our client, a, uh, a woman that has had a security clearance for several years, got served 52 interrogatories. And they start out asking her questions about foreign relatives, friends, and associates. And they actually um, have a, a box that's uh, like a spreadsheet, uh, a box with uh, columns. And at the top, they put the name of the individual and they want to know the complete address, the citizenship, the occupation, the frequency of contact and the means of contact and the last date of contact. How you answer those questions is very important. And practically speaking, no one keeps a diary of how many phone calls or emails that you have with people and especially people in a different country. So they give her this matrix and they say, please fill this out. Well, that's a daunting task in itself. Then they go on to ask if you have any immediate family members, relatives, friends, or associates that uh, have been employed by a foreign government, a foreign military, a local municipality or regional government. Well, that requires very specific knowledge. And it goes on to say, uh, do they have any business, educational, institutional, or other organizational interests um, in a foreign country? 
the interrogatories proceed from immediate relatives to cohabitants. And what is the government looking for? They're saying, do you have any cohabitants, friends, or business or professional associates uh, with interests in a foreign country? Well, that gets pretty uh, dangerous because what if you are a deployed contractor in a foreign country, uh, let's say Germany or Croatia or Lebanon, and you're there on military business and you start dating somebody or you hang out with an individual and you go to dinner and he's a foreign national in that country but he works with the United States military. What do you do? What if he's a foreign citizen? He or she is a foreign citizen. How do you handle that? And in this case, our client did have some people that were uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, They were teachers, but ironically, uh, they also, one of them was a software engineer for a U.S. uh, software company but they were in Afghanistan. The um, questions here continued by uh, asking the nature and number of contacts you've had with foreign citizens. And here again, it's asking you as a person that was in a foreign country working perhaps on U.S. business or military business, how many times did you have contact in that country with an individual? A lot of you say to me, you call me up and say, my goodness, I go to professional conferences or trade conferences all over the world. And at those conferences, we exchange business cards and I meet people. I go out to dinner with them or um, we meet afterwards and socialize. Do I have to list them? And uh, some of you say, well, after the conference, I emailed that individual because I had some business Uh, that I thought would be good for my company, and what do I have to do about that? The questions then continue on with our client here with Afghanistan contacts about inheritance and financial interests. Many of you that come to this country from another country may have real estate, bank accounts, investments, or financial interests in that country. What am I referring to? Well, some of you may have a bank account that you use for your parents uh, who are in that country so that you can send them money. Or some of you may have a pension or retirement income, or you may have a piece of property that's rented and you're collecting rents. How do you handle that? Well, you can reach us at 800-481-2526. This is exactly what we do. We do it on a scale, not only for interrogatories, but in response to a statement of reasons. And of course, we handle it at the hearing stage so that you know how to respond to government questions on cross-examination. The uh, next area that these interrogatories took our client into was her EKIP or her uh, SF-86 and uh, they wanted to know about her travel. And my client had traveled a lot throughout the world because of her professional background and training. She uh, traveled to uh, many countries and participated uh, in conferences, but she also had a daughter 
that uh, traveled and uh, my client traveled with her. So these questions get uh, really detailed. And um, then they want to know what, if any, contact foreign immigration or security people might have had with her when she was in those countries. In other words, have you ever been approached by a third world government agent uh, that asked questions about your job or your uh, security clearance or what you do for the military? You might think that uh, that's uncommon, but it is not. How do you handle those questions? Well, again, call us at 800-481-2526. We'd be happy to take you on as a client and we'd be happy to help you navigate uh, this very, very important uh, aspect of a security clearance, which again, we're talking about interrogatories. Government questions that are sent to you uh, with a very specific time limit in which you must answer them. And you should know that uh, on the last page of the interrogatories is a statement signed under penalty of perjury. And it says that you have read and understood. And I'll quote from the last page on this woman's interrogatories. It says, quote, I swear or affirm that the information furnished above is true and accurate or correct to the best of my knowledge and belief. And when she signs that document, she has committed to those answers. If there was a subsequent recollection uh, about some of the questions, or she says, oh my goodness, I answered that question uh, in error. I didn't understand the question. And I think I made a mistake. But then she signed the acknowledgement under penalty of perjury that her answers were true and accurate. She has a problem. If the case goes on to a hearing and she wants to change her answer, and many times that occurs, it's a natural occurrence because of uh, human memory, then she has a problem. And uh, how do you navigate that? Well, you can't unless you're an experienced, trained attorney. And uh, you'll find no better attorneys than at the Edmonds Law Firm. And you can go to our website and read about me. You can listen to our podcasts on Spotify or Apple. And you can uh, avail yourself of some uh, 35 videos covering all kinds of topics concerning national security and military upgrades and MSPB. When I say military, I also mean actions that can be taken against you if you are a civilian and, for example, you receive a debarment. That's an action that the federal government takes to lock you out of or prevent you from gaining access physically to a military installation or a federal installation. And when you learn about the limitations of a debarment action, the prohibitions, once you are debarred, it affects many federal programs, including loans and other federal benefits that you would normally be able to uh, participate or enjoy. But once you've been debarred, 
it affects many, many aspects of your professional life. If you are a private business owner and your business dealt with the military or was on a military installation or your clients uh, used your business to acquire military educational benefits and you're debarred, then that business is going to be closed and you're going to be out of work and out of business and you may uh, be called upon to make restitution depending upon the allegations uh, or pay penalties. So we are here for you. We practice uh, federal administrative law. We uh, deal with GOMERS for active duty military. We deal with uh, notice of proposed actions that are filed by several government agencies against you as a federal employee. And of course, we deal with security clearance responses and military upgrades. Uh, my name is Alan Edmonds. I'm at 800-481-2526. And I would welcome an opportunity to uh, speak with you about your case. Thank you.